welcome to What the Duck, a podcast with real experts talking about direct spin challenges and experiences. And now, here's your host, Source Day's very own manufacturing maven, Sarah Scudder. Thank you for joining me for What the Duck, another supply chain podcast brought to you by Source Day. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, and this is the podcast for people working in the direct materials part of supply chain. I'm at Sarah Scudder on LinkedIn and at S. Scudder on Twitter. Today, I'm going to be joined by Robert Seifert, and we're going to discuss how to find additional cost savings. If you work for a manufacturer and are looking for ways to save money, then this episode is for you. Robert is a senior buyer with Good Sense Foods. He manages flexible and rigid packaging as well as commodity spend. He has led several successful cost-saving initiatives throughout his career. Welcome to the show, Robert. I want to go back in time and um, have you share a little bit about your personal story and how you got your start in manufacturing. So I was going to school or college, I should say, uh, for mathematics, and I was planning on becoming an actuary, uh, so dealing with insurance risk. And uh, I was just a big math guru and kind of wanted to go that route, something in analysis. Um, as I was graduating college, going into possibly my master's degree, I started, I had a kid. So my first kid. Uh, big life change. Kind of, yep. Yeah, so big life change. I opted out, did not go for my master's degree. Uh, and I took a job. So I got hired on by Angie's Bone Chicken Pop at the time, working as an inventory analyst for about a year. And then uh, a guy by the name of Dean Girola, actually, who I work with now, uh, hired me on as the inventory analyst. And then shortly after that, like I said, a year later, I was promoted to buyer, uh, was pulled into corporate, really had no experience and uh, started in that room, right? And so uh, at the time, it was more like being managed by a uh, individual overseeing every step of every move you make and then gradually kind of lean to uh, you're taking over things, right? And so uh, that was more like buying a lot of uh, popcorn, sugar, salt, uh, and packaging and corrugated. Pretty simple. And then later on, so that was like at the onset of this company starting really so backing it up a little bit. It was a newer company and they had been around a couple of years and they got this big Costco promotion right about the time I was coming on. And so it was uh, launching from like one ship to essentially like almost 24-7, um, three different ships. And at the time I was becoming this buyer. And so it became a little bit complex. Uh, to say the least, but learned a lot. You mentioned at the very start of your career, you started as something called an inventory technician. So what what specifically did you do in this role? Because that's not uh, that's not a term I hear a lot. So more like an inventory analyst, but uh, so what I was doing was closing jobs out and ensuring inventory accuracy. So production uh, jobs for WIP or finished goods. I was essentially overseeing them and then ensuring inventory was placed into these jobs accurately, as well as like analyzing which jobs are producing more waste and then trying to go after some type of improvement around that. And and in that role, so inventory was your world. What were your what was the the biggest pain point that you were dealing with, and how did you m- make improvements or solve? some of the the challenges because managing inventory is tough yeah so when we were early on it was a lot of excel spreadsheets and so 
uh, lot traceability was a big thing, right? And so that was pretty tough. And so we implemented, or at the time I first started there, uh, I worked with a guy named Joe Harris that uh, worked on implementing PeopleSoft at the time. So that was a challenge in and of itself to like launch this new MRP ERP system. And then uh, nobody there had used one really and uh, making that work, right? And so it was a big challenge. Yeah. But it ended up helping us out, saving us a lot of time. Then you were promoted to something called an inventory control analyst. And one of the things that you did in this role was manage inter- the internal materials schedule. Again, another very, very tough role, right? You, you don't get a lot of credit or kudos when things are running smoothly, but something goes wrong and everything blows up, right? And it's a, it's a disaster in the end of the world. So what was your strategy for managing your materials? So at that time, I wasn't the buyer of the materials. I was the, so if I would bring it into a warehouse offsite, and then we got to manage them uh, from the site to the location, right? And so it was really like, we have X amount of space. Uh, X product, you know, typically will run on X number of, or Y number of lines. It typically runs on one or two. So we had four lines at the time. So then we ended up having five eventually. But uh, so you would factor in what's the runtime uh, on a certain product, uh, what what's the pounds per hour, cases per hour, um, and then build your racking accordingly, right? So high running items, you know, lower in the racking, uh, closer to the point of use type of situation. Um, but yeah, it was like breaking down the amount of space into X number of items and how frequently they're used. And uh, and so we had, it was difficult too, because we had a truck that came like every three hours. And so it had to be like, we had a very tight facility too. We only had like a hundred and some spots for inventory. So when you say a truck was, came every three hours, you mean a new, a new delivery came or a truck came every three hours that was picking up product for your customers? It was like two to three hours, but it was product that was outgoing from our production facility. So finished product would go to the warehouse and on the return trip, it would deliver material. And so we had to time it to keep our racks full in the warehouse and not run out of material. Uh, this is a very limited space at our production facility. It was super small. Um, so that's why we had to have everything delivered off site and then shipped over. And so it was really just managing those materials. But yeah, strategy was all about, you know, runtime frequency and breaking it apart based on number of items. So you, the the theme of our discussion today is around cutting costs and finding kind of additional ways to to save money that aren't so obvious. And I feel like you started doing this very, very early on in your career. So when you were serving in this role as an inventory control analyst, how did you work with your team to help save the company money? A lot of ways. So um, we had to look at not only like warehouse space. So like, for instance, we were, we had too much warehouse space that we were paying for. And so uh, it was like refining the needle as to what we need to carry given the lead time to support the uh, customer's demand and planning demand, right? And so uh, there was a lot of like, let's look at customer order frequency. Let's look at incoming materials. Let's look at it as a whole and then break it apart and cut down 50% of the space and make it work. Okay. And so you're obviously where you're paying for a lot less warehouse space, right? You're 
you're yeah, trying to eliminate touches to things of that matter to improve efficiencies and a lot of that in the inventory analyst role. Uh, later on in life, though, it, it became more like when I was a buyer, I was working in the supply chain. So that's where a lot of the continuous improvement methodologies kind of came from and the success, I guess. After you served in this inventory control analyst role, you became a procurement specialist and you purchased a lot of corrugated packaging. What was the hardest part when you were buying or managing this category? Vendor relationships uh, with some tough suppliers, and then ultimately, like, you took a deal with that. So you, you reach out or you bid out the business to a, a more efficient supplier, um, and then hopefully at a better cost, right? Uh, in that case, it was. So we were with, like, Green Bay and uh, one of the smaller companies, we'll say, and then we moved into the realm of the West Rocks and the international papers of the world and uh, just saw service level go way up uh, in comparison. I'm not saying that Green Bay was bad. But I'm saying some others that we had were bad. Uh, but uh, so no knock to any quarterly companies, just, you know, different service levels. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest issues we had was for a Costco project, we were doing these trays with uh, X dividers in them. And we put like 38 bags that were 18 ounces, I believe they were. Uh, and the design really wasn't done by a, an engineer, let's say, right? It was kind of more supplier related and they're, and they're or relying on their expertise, right? And so what ultimately happened was these things were getting damaged in transit, they're falling apart, they're breaking. And so we increased the design or we, you know, reached out to engineering, right? Uh, later on, we, in the progression of this thing, right? And, uh, trying to get some help, see what we could do, right? And so we re-altered the, or we redid this design uh, for another large Costco MPM. And so it was like 10,000 pounds or something like that. We put it in our warehouse and the humidity got to it. And if you've ever watched the bottle or the YouTube video where the forklift driver goes in and grabs the bottles and all of them fall over, it was this type of scenario. And so uh, it became like all hands on deck to what we do, what do we do to fix this? And we're, you know, we got to pay more money to get a better design. Yeah, it was a struggle. It was a struggle from like getting enough people to fix this on time, getting the design corrected, uh, satisfying the customer still. And in the end, we kept the business and they still have the business with them. So. so it's a good reminder of why not to cut corners and don't yeah. only focus on cost. Yeah. When you're a small company, I think you, you just think that you can rely on some folks and sometimes that second opinion is uh, very valuable. Mm-hmm. So you you were promoted from a procurement specialist to a buyer planner role. What were the biggest direct materials challenges you faced in this role? So it was going from like I, I kind of went through this in the beginning too. I kind of rushed through all the titles, kind of laid them into inventory analysts and then buyer, right? But procurement specialist is more that like Hey, we're kind of, you're kind of learning the ropes. We'll give you a few things to buy. And then the buyer realm was more like, Hey, I'm going to manage this contractual spend from my manager's standpoint. And you're going to do everything else. Right. And then at the same point, we brought on coal manufacturers. So we had coal manufacturers in the uh, West coast. We had them in Phoenix. Uh, and then we had some in Northern Minnesota and Perm. And then we had some out on the East coast in Ohio. And so the big challenge was like managing all of that from, uh, from like being fresh. And then also the time zone differential. Uh, 
So it was like starting work at 5 a.m. and ending work at 8 p.m. because people are calling you at all different hours of the night. We also have 24-7 operations, so I had folks calling me in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, and a lot of it was like, can't find this inventory. And, you know, you have a system that's tracking that. And it says it's supposed to be there. Why don't you put it there? Then they end up finding it, right? But, uh, yeah, that was a big challenge, just taking on so much at once, uh, so many different locations uh, with so many different items. And at the time, like when I had started procuring stuff, so I was just buying like popcorn, sugar, salt, and oil, right? Well, then it became like we gotta buy chocolate drizzled items, and we got I gotta buy stuff for the MPD teams, and I gotta buy, you know, so the list goes on, right? And there's just a lot of challenges in in growth and development. Yeah, um, in in this role as a buyer, what cost saving strategy did you implement that you felt had a big impact at the company? Well, there. So like the first one I did was pallets. I just picked one an easy easy goer. Like we were paying out the wazoo for pallets. Uh, so that was a quick one. We also like so that was wood. I, I kind of differentiate them into two, like wood and blue or wood and chip. Or and what did what did and, you do? How did you cut costs without impacting production or quality? Negotiation with current volume and growth, and you know I leveraged that against the chip of the world and got them down to a flat rate instead of rental fees and it ended up saving like a hundred thousand dollars not a big one but just a nice little start to the career right and then from there it was like <clears throat> different corrugated or flexible spending improvements you transitioned uh to a company where you were a materials planner so again all kind of in the buying realm a lot of direct but progression in your career so what was the most important part of your job as a materials planner? So that was right at the acquisition where ConAgra procured Angie's Beans for Pop. Uh, and so that's what they kind of call their their buyers. Well, they had commodities managers that worked at corporate and then buyers. So I no longer really was manage, managing any commodities. Uh, it was just managing the flexible spend, or sorry, the flexible packaging and corrugated. So they kind of left that in my room. And then I would buy off of their contracts. Um, for the other remaining commodities. Uh, but it was a heavy focus on, okay, at the time I had to buy for, let me step back. We had also implemented a facility in Reno, Nevada. And when you say facility, was, like a, was this a, a manufacturing facility? Brand new manufacturing facility in Reno, kind of in the process of all those commands and in my transition, right? And so I no longer had to procure for the coal manufacturers. I just had to procure for my facility and the Reno, Nevada facility. So the, where they direct owned, right? And yeah. so um, that was one piece of the puzzle. So, uh, you know, with the coal manufacturers, a little more turnkey, so it was a little easier. With another facility of ours that I had to purchase, it was purchasing everything for them. So it was a little bit much. And then at the same time, uh, they have a lean, or a, a CPS, a continuous improvement system, uh, or continuous performance system. Um, where they break apart these pillars. And one of the pillars I owned was lean supply chain. And so I had to formulate a team with our production planner, our warehouse manager, uh, and then several subject matter experts, depending on what the improvement projects were. But the idea was that you spend 50% of your time on the floor and you do improvement projects. So I own the lean supply chain. I had to mentor the lean supply chain to the Reno facilities uh, manager over there so they could implement it. And then I also own the changeover daily management system. So any line that changes over a product, I'm working on improvements to do that, right? So 
lean supply chain covered like a lot of schedule adherence, schedule attainment, case fill, uh, finished good, non-finished good, day supplies and dollars. And so it was improvements around those, but it was mainly we had key objectives as a team and then how do we relate uh, up into those to improve them, right? So if a team was working on, let's say, an AMD team or an autonomous machine development team was working on improving case fill by like improving the scale, right? So they break the scale apart. Uh, mind you, we join these teams then too, but we go down there before we break the whole scale apart, we clean it, we inspect it, we detect it, we correct it, and then we perfect it, right? So it's all about uh, kind of that process in the lean supply chain and then in the change over daily management system. From a buyer standpoint, it wasn't really about a lot of like improvement in there was really just staying tight to what you said your goal for day supply and dollars a week or your budget. And what would you say, I mean, improvement obviously is a, an internal um, kind of cost savings in that you can, you're doing more, right, with the same or less resources. Was there anything that stands out though that was from a hard dollar cost savings that you were able to garnish from these imp process improvements? Well, hard dollars hard to put on it, but you know we we caught our changeover times uh, from like six minutes down to a minute and a half. Uh, so a lot of uptime, a lot of case fill improvement. Um, and also like on some of these AMD teams, you know you're you're taking a bagger that's running pretty poorly, and or a machine that's the key focal point of your production facility, and you're you're taking it and improving it, making it run a lot better, breaking down a lot less. So it's hard to put a real number on those. Yeah. Uh, cost saving improvement. You work in the food industry still, which is a tough space to be because you're buying things that have what I call short life materials. So things that can expire, go bad. You've got to have demand planning and forecasting really buttoned up because you buy too much, you're going to be throwing things out because it's going to expire or no longer be good. What What is your demand planning strategy now, given that you have such short life materials and things that you're purchasing? Uh, from a buyer standpoint, I won't speak specifically to the company I work at, but you know, this is my approach typically anywhere is, you know, what's that historical look like um, on, on an existing item, right? So what's the historical look like? Is it trending up or down? And then what's the shelf life on that product, right? And, uh, you know, it's really... And then you also have a space constraint too, typically, right? So you got to mix the two, uh, a meshing of the two uh, to formulate basically like that line in the sand, right? Or like your minimum inventory, your safety stock. Uh, so a lot of it's been, you know, minimum minimum inventory, safety stock trigger. But like on your existing items, you know, heavy selling items, you want to, you know, you want to contract along the, or try to contract as much as you can, right? To try to get that price point down. Um, but some unlike some of the riskier items, it becomes uh, you know, maybe we order a little less and pay a little more, right? So we don't sit on it as long. Um, or maybe we bring maybe we bring in that MLQ if, if needed, and uh, and that's all we're doing just to keep the risk down or the shelf life uh, from aging. Um, so there's just like a lot of strategies. It just depends on the product, right? Technology has come quite a long way since you started your career. How have you been able to leverage technology to help find more cost savings? I gave an example previously how we leveraged the ERP system, right? And then we obviously leveraged uh, SAP too, right? So uh, previous to those, it was a lot of like manual 
uh, scorecards, manual data tracking, manual metric tracking, and then, you know, implementing lead, for instance, at our plant, be able to detail behind the baggers, right? When are they down? What are they down for? Then you can analyze these. Any other tips or tricks that you can share with the audience? So our target is small, mid-sized manufacturers, people who are, you know, being very, very cost conscious while at the same time don't want to impact their quality or impact their their timelines to their customers. Keep people in the right positions within the company so that you can make the right uh, decisions. Not only that, then key processes developed so that people are staying in line and structure right. All the two yellow, a bit of a chaotic environment. Uh, but then from like a buyer standpoint, it's just really digging into the data. You got to dive into data, see what you like. I see a lot of people just making repeated. So I've worked with a lot of buyers and I just see them making buys without ever trying to negotiate. And so I think there's always room for negotiation to save whatever you can for your company. And so the more you negotiate, the more you're going to save, right? So that's another trick. People are afraid to negotiate. They just ask for a price and the supplier tells them a price and they don't kick back and they just relay costs. And I think there's a lot of room within that. Robert, thank you for coming on our show today. If you missed anything, you can check out the show notes. You can find us by typing in What the Duck, another supply chain podcast in Google. To have optimal search results, make sure to add another supply chain podcast at the end of your search. This brings us to the end of another episode of What the Duck, another supply chain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, and we'll be back next week. <music>